Well, good morning, everybody. And it's a great treat and an honor to be able to have the means to be able to address you on Easter Sunday. This is a first for me and for you. And uh, so that's a good thing. And I want to thank this incredible team that I'm surrounded by who make these efforts possible. And we've had such wonderful response from all over the country and from many places around the world. So I don't know who's watching right now, but uh, wherever you are and whoever you are, I want to welcome you into this sanctuary right now at First Church in Sterling Heights, Michigan. And we're going to walk through the Word for a little while on what, without a doubt, is the highest of holy days to the Christian community. This is what it says in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. My subject today for you to consider will simply be entitled, He Called the Shot. He called the shot. During the fifth inning of the third game of the World Series in 1932, near as I can tell, he's got 19 different nicknames. Some of them will be familiar to some of you. To others, this may be the first time you'll hear these things. He was known as the Great Bambino. He was known as the Colossus of Clout the Sultan of Swat. But to millions of people, he was simply affectionately known as the Babe. The crowd was biased against the Yankees. Crowd was jeering. There were a lot of very uh, unkind things that were being said to him from the Chicago dugout. <laughs> But when Babe Ruth came to the plate, he did something that never, had never been done before and, to my knowledge, has never been done again. He looked at that dugout, and he held out his arm towards left center field, and he called the shot. And the very next pitch went over 500 feet high. But not only did it go 500 feet up, it went over 440 feet out. Not only did he clear the wall, but he cleared most of the bleachers and hit it past the flagpole in Wrigley Field. What is even now considered a miraculous, a miraculous occasion for a guy to call good on that kind of prediction in that kind of circumstance was unheard of. Sitting in the crowd that day was a presidential hopeful by the name of Franklin Roosevelt. He started to laugh when that ball cleared the field, and he later said it was that shot that gave him hope that he would be president. The Yanks finished off the Cubs the next day, beat a demoralized Chicago Cubs team beat them 4-0. They didn't win one game in that series. In baseball lore, 
it is one of the greatest days of all times. But I want to talk to you today about another man who is known by many, 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 many nicknames and affectionate terms. He's been called the Rose of Sharon. He's been called the Bright and the Morning Star. He is sometimes referred to as the fairest of 10,000. He responded to the jeers of the religious bigots and to the demons that mocked him. He called his shot. And it is without a doubt the one thing that separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. The resurrection. The fact of the resurrection. The Bible said in the first chapter of the book of Acts, he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. And those two terms, infallible proofs, in the original language are better translated a watertight case. So my question to you today is, what are those proofs? Let me try to give you a few of them. Uh, let, let, me, let me begin by asking you a question. Do you believe in Abraham Lincoln? Do you believe in honest Abe? the lawyer from Illinois who guided this nation through the horror of the Civil War? Do, do you believe there was a man by the name of Abraham Lincoln? Well, let me ask you the next question. Did you ever meet him? Is there anyone that's listening to me today who ever met Abraham Lincoln? And of course, the answer is obvious. The only reason we believe in Abraham Lincoln is because of things that have been written down, the documentation that we possess that tells us about this amazing leader. Let me tell you what's written down about Jesus Christ. This is from Matthew 27. Now the next day, that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher may be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, You have a watch. Go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. To steal the body of Jesus Christ... First of all, you're going to have to get past the Roman guards. Guards who have pledged their life to Caesar. Guards who not only their reputation, but literally whether they're living and breathing or not, depends on them guarding that tomb. You're going to have to get past those guards. And then you're going to have to be able to remove that stone. 
But before you remove that stone, you're going to have to break that seal that was placed on that stone, that stone that carried with it a death penalty if you tampered with it. So these people are ensuring that no one can get into that tomb. I remember hearing Larry King interview Nixon's hatchet man, a guy by the name of Charles Colson. Colson was a take-no-prisoners kind of guy. He was known as being very brutal and uh, very, very crude. But after the Watergate affair, Charles Colson, of course, ended up in prison <clears throat> and met Jesus Christ. And ultimately, before he died, became the international leader of the greatest prison ministry fellowship anywhere. Everyone knew who Charles Colson was. I, I heard Larry King interview Charles Colson. Larry King, of course, is an agnostic Jew. <clears throat> He's not an atheist. He just simply says, I don't know if there is a God or not. But he interviewed Charles Colson and he said, look, I'm a Jew. If anybody ought to believe this resurrection story, it ought to be me, but I, I don't believe it. And I don't understand how you, who aren't even a Jew, can believe this, this fairy tale about this man coming back from the dead. Charles Colson stunned Larry King when he said, Larry, that's the easiest question in the world to answer. And he said, well, what is your answer? He said, I always believed <clears throat> that the uh, Roman soldiers stole the body of Jesus or possibly his disciples. And he said, no, 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 no. He said, if the Roman soldiers would have taken the body of Jesus, then they would have produced it at a later date to show that shriveled up carcass and the corpse of that man who claimed that people claimed had come back from the dead. And he said, well, what about his disciples? He said, no, no, no. He said, when you, when you study history, Larry, every one of these disciples were martyred with the exception of one. And he said, they, they not only went to their death, but they went to their death gladly because they had lost their fear of death. Because if the disciples had stolen the body of Jesus, they, more than anyone, would have known it was a farce. And then he said something that stunned me. He said, Larry, during the last days of the Nixon administration, once John Dean turned state's evidence and testified against his former boss. He said, people were jumping off of the White House like rats off of the Titanic. And he said, do you want to know why so many of those men chose to testify against President Nixon? He said, because every one of us knew he was a liar. And nobody wanted to go to prison to support and protect a liar. But he said, those disciples... Not only did they go to their death, they went to their death gladly because they lost all fear of dying. Because they knew, they knew, they had seen him 
after he had died. They saw the resurrected Christ, and he took away their fear. And uh, Larry King didn't know what to say about that. So go ahead, all of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests, go ahead. Just put the best soldiers the world has to offer out in front. Put a massive stone in front of that hole and seal that stone. Do everything you can to keep anybody from getting him out. (laughs) But you couldn't stop him from coming out. I want you to consider not only the means and the measures that the Jews went to protect that no one could burglarize that, uh, that tomb and take his body. Consider the transformation that was in the disciples. Because Peter, before Jesus died, someone said, I know who you are. You're one of those followers. You're one of his closest disciples. And he said, I don't know him. And he said that repeatedly. I don't have any idea who you're talking about. And yet this same reluctant Peter, this same disciple who on repeated occasions denied that he even knew Jesus in Acts chapter 2, had the boldness to stand in front of a huge crowd of people and said, you men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves know, him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Watch whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden or that he should be held by death. Peter, this reticent, bashful, shy, even ashamed former follower, now publicly is looking at this crowd and saying, I want you to know something. You killed him, but he's alive today. Look at the Apostle Paul a man who persecuted the church. The man who was there when they stoned Stephen, and because of the official position that he held, his presence was actually sanctioning that horrific action. He said in Philippians chapter 3, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. One version I read, he said, I was perfect in my legalistic righteousness. There was not one occasion, he said, I I was blamed. There was not one occasion when he dropped the ball. Every chance I had to prosecute and persecute the church, I did it. And yet, what did he eventually say? In Corinthians 15 and 14, he said, if Jesus isn't alive, my preaching is in vain. 
And three verses later, he said, and if Jesus is not risen, your faith is in vain. The word ignorant. Ten times the Apostle Paul used the word ignorant. Brother Forrest Gump taught us something. He said, stupid is as stupid does. You can't fix stupid, ladies and gentlemen. But there's a difference between stupid and ignorant. Ignorant means I used to believe something else, but because of the overwhelming evidence that exists, I had to change my opinion. This is a man who said, I don't want you to be ignorant. I was, I didn't believe in this fallacy and fable of this fake by the name of Jesus of Nazareth. But what I have seen now is such overwhelming evidence, I can't possibly live in my former folly. What changed Paul? This is what it says in Corinthians 15 and verse 8. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. <laughs> you see, in order to be one of the original apostles, you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. But of course, Saul of Tarsus never followed the Lord during his earthly ministry. It's a fascinating study in the Word because Jesus, of course, was the name given to him, the saving name given to him, but he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. But when you put the word Christ on it, Christ is a Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one. The only one who could be the anointed one was Jehovah of the Old Testament. And so when you said he was the Christ, you were saying that Jesus was the visible manifestation of the invisible God of the Old Testament. The other disciples, and in their letters, they referred to him as Jesus Christ. Paul is the only one that refers to him as Christ Jesus. Because they were all referencing him in the order of their recognition and their own experience. See, to 11 of them, they knew him first as Jesus of Nazareth, and then he resurrected from the dead, and he would be Jesus Christ. So they knew him first as a man from Nazareth, and then as a resurrected Redeemer, but not Paul. Paul said, I met him as one born out of due season. You see, the Jesus that Paul met was already resurrected. And so he can refer to him in the order of his experience, Christ Jesus. <laughs> the Bible says in Acts 9 and 3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shone right round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. See, back then, they had wagons. Most of these wagons were pulled by oxen. 
very stubborn animals, and they would take sharpened stakes called pricks, and they would be mounted, kind of like in the firewall of a vehicle today, but on the front of that wagon would be these sharpened sticks and these goads. And when these animals would get stubborn and angry, they would, of course, kick their back legs, but it was to their own hurt because they were kicking against the very spikes that were put in place there to injure them and to settle them down. And this is what the analogy is. You're kicking against me, but the only one that's going to get hurt in this process is you. What changed? What changed, Peter? I'll tell you what changed him. He saw a resurrected Christ. What changed Paul from a prosecutor and a persecutor into a believer and a great voice? He had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. All of the eyewitnesses. How are you going to explain all these people away? Here's 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 5. And he was seen of Cephas, which of course is Simon Peter, and then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen of 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto said, some are dead, but most of them are still alive when I'm writing this. After that, he was seen of James, who was the half-brother of Jesus. You see, when he was teaching, they said, your mother and your brother and sisters are without. They never followed him during his earthly ministry. But after he resurrected, I can see James saying, well, mama always said there was something different about you. And, and there is. James went on to be the bishop and the overseer of the church in Jerusalem. And then he was seen of all the apostles. And of course he said, and then Last of all, he was seen of me. Why is the resurrection so important? I'll tell you why. Because he told people in advance that he would be crucified. And not only would he be crucified. Here's Matthew 16 and 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. So in advance, he's telling them not only that he's going to die, but that he's going to resurrect. Here's chapter 20 and verse 19. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. Now, watch what I've read to you, 28 and 6. After he's resurrected, those angels said, He is not here, for he is risen. Watch, as he said. <laughs> Come and see the place where the Lord lay. He called it. He called it. Yes, I'm going to die, but on the third day, I'm going to resurrect. And just like he said, it happened. You see, if Jesus told the truth about the resurrection, <laughs> then you can believe anything else that he said. Watch what it says in John 14 and verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself 
that where I am, there you may be also. If you've been in sync with us for the last two weeks, I've taught you something called a tale of two cities. I've never been to the New Jerusalem, but I know it's real. (coughs) How do I know that? Not because I've been there, but because of the one who said it exists. He said, I'm going to die, and I'm going to rise again from the dead. He did die, and he did rise again. So if he told the truth on that, not only can I believe the truth of the resurrection, I can believe anything else, he said. And this is the one that said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And you're going to be with me. See, his, listen, here's Romans 4 and 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again, watch, for our justification. His resurrection is the guarantee. His resurrection is the receipt. It's the proof of purchase. There, there, there are people listening to me right now who used to be unfaithful, who used to be liars, who used to have no discipline, no temperance in their lives. People listening who not only did terrible things surreptitiously and, and, and clandestine and in the shadows, but there are people who were exposed, some going so far as to even be incarcerated. But today you would never know it. They're changed. They've had a revolution in their lives because of a revelation, not rehab, reborn. Look at the message of the original church. Here again, that, 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 that reticent, shy disciple, that shamed Peter, you men of Israel, Hear these words. This is Acts chapter 2. This is the powerful chapter about the birth of the New Testament church when the Holy Spirit has just been poured out. Now he's responding to this crowd, some who are mocking and saying they're drunk. But of course he stood up and said, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. People don't get drunk at 9. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. It says, whom God raised up. Whom God raised up. So we're apostolic people And we spend so much time on verse 38. But when you read the message of Peter, the message was about the resurrection. This is verse 31. And he, seeing this before, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both, both, Lord and Christ. Lord would be the Jehovah of the Old Testament. Christ is the anointed one. He's saying that who was that guy on the middle cross 50 days ago? Who was that guy? He was the God of the Old Testament who came in flesh to shed his blood for us. And when they heard this, let all the house of Israel know assuredly 
that that Jesus is Lord and Christ. When they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and they said, you, you mean we've, we've been waiting for Messiah for over 2,000 years? And that guy from Nazareth, that guy on the middle cross, that was him? What are we going to do? And Peter, of course, said, oh, he left the plan. Because as you know, in the next verse, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's Acts chapter 2, if you know. How does Acts chapter 3 begin? It begins with Peter going to pray with John, and he's not mentioned, but he's there because he wrote it. Luke is with them, and they meet this guy who's been begging all of his life out in front of a dead religion, and he's asking them for money, and Peter said, I don't have any money, but I've, what I do have, I'm going to give to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Rise up. Rise up and walk. And of course, only a doctor would write this. Most people would just see the miracle, but not Luke. It said immediate, watch, immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. That doctor looked at those atrophied, twisted bones and said, whoa. And all of a sudden it was snap, crackle, pop. And that man, the Bible said he didn't just stand up. You would have thought after all of those years, <coughs> he would have got on his knees and his hands and <coughs> maybe asked for a little assistance. It said, and he leaping up stood. But when they went in to the temple, what was, the people were amazed. Here's Acts 3 and 12. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, you men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Why look you earnestly on us as though by our power or by our holiness we made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate. And when he was determined to let him go, but you denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer. Think of that, Barabbas. Think of the word Barabbas. Do you know what, 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 what remember, remember that scripture says, Abba, Abba, Father, you have not received the spirit of fear, but, but you have the spirit said, Abba. It's in Romans chapter 8. It's in Galatians chapter 4. What does the word Father or Abba mean? It's a term of endearment for Father. It's probably best translated Daddy. But technically, it just means Father. What is Bar? Bar is always Son of. Remember Simon Bar Jonah? I was talking about his Daddy. Look at this. Bar Abba. Barabbas. What does that mean? Son of the Father. They chose the wrong son of the Father. They should have chosen the real son. But Peter is rebuking them. And he said, You desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life. But look at Acts 3 and 15. Whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. 
And if you know your Bible, the miracle of that man, the, the sensation that it created by that man being healed, how did it end up? You would have thought the religious leaders would have been excited and delighted. And no, they took Peter and these leaders and they put him in jail. And as they spake unto the people, this is chapter 4 of Acts. As they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, and being grieved, what were they grieved that they were teaching? And preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They were mad about what these men were preaching after this great miracle. These are the religious leaders of their country. They should have been ecstatic. Instead, they were jealous. They were full of envy and strife. What was the result of these men being put in jail? This is what it says in Acts 4 and 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. And they brought him out of jail, and they put him on trial. And what did Peter say? Here we go again. This former, you know, ashamed disciple. Look what it says in Acts 4. And be it known unto you all, and all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, doth this man stand before you whole. Watch 13, when they saw the boldness, the boldness, not the shame, not the fear, not the red, no, no. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed, standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And so it says now in chapter 4 and verse 32, and the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and one soul, and neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own. They had all things common and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. Do you see the theme here? You see the theme here is Acts chapter 2. What did Peter preach before that great outpouring of the Holy Ghost? Yes, there was about 120, but later on it said there was 3,000 before that great harvest on the day of Pentecost. What was the message that he preached? Resurrection. Resurrection. Who and what did he give? You know, when the man was healed at the gate, beautiful, why? What, what, how, how did Peter, Peter explain that? He said, this is because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Got in front of the Sadducees and the religious leaders, and he said, you killed him, but he came back to life. Now look at this man standing by me here right now. How can you deny that? And they couldn't. Then there's 5,000 men, and the number of the disciples multiplied. And so now you're into Acts chapter 5. And that, of course, begins with the death of Ananias and Sapphira, but it led to a great healing revival. <coughs> and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitudes. Both of, you know, one place it said, 
the Lord added to the church. But now it says that disciples were multiplied. this, this, This thing is exponential now. Insomuch that they, watch, they brought forth the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow, the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they healed every one, every one. What happens Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days, the number of the disciples was multiplied. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got a sick world on our hand right now. I heard people for years talk about 666. But that doesn't matter right now. All we know is the world right now is sick, sick, sick. And they're terrified of this virus What is the answer? The answer is the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. That's what brought the healing. And that's what brought these amazing displays of deliverance. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This resurrection power produces all these healings. And it was that, those healings, is what brought people into the church. I'm coming through you through the means of this internet, surrounded with, with a lot of electronic gadgets and gizmos. I don't understand how they work. I'm just grateful for people that do. But I want you to understand something right now. The Apostle Paul didn't have a website. He didn't have a Facebook page. He didn't have a Twitter account. Jesus didn't have CNN following him. There were no satellites projecting this thing on the monitors and screens. around. It wasn't like that. They went into a city and they started doing miracles and the crowds came. It was the answer then, it's the answer now. Our answer is not to just have a, a nice religious show, it's not to, to produce some, some, some Pentecostal entertainment on a weekly basis. We need a display of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. There are people sick right now. Do you believe the blood of Jesus is stronger than this virus? Do you? Do you believe that he is able to rise above the most horrible, wicked, intimidating thing? Is there anything more intimidating than death? Jesus rose and had power over that. Look in chapter 6. In chapter 6, we talk about the number of the disciples multiplied. So where does that go? It produces these lay ministers because there's a dispute among the widows. You have Greek widows and you have Hebrew widows and the Greek widows are convinced they're not getting the best cuts of meat and they're not getting (laughs) the best groceries. So they chose seven men. First, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. But if you do your homework, you're going to find that study the names of these seven men Not one of those names were Jewish. Every one of these names were Greek names. Look how the apostles in their wisdom chose to, all it was was a a ruse by Satan to get the church, get their eyes and to get them distracted and to get them fighting among themselves. The apostles were so brilliant, they didn't let one Jewish man 
sit on that council, but chose seven Greek men who would hand out. And one of them was a guy by the name of Stephen. He's not one of the original disciples, but this is the guy. Read chapter 7 and how that young preacher, the Bible said they couldn't resist the power and the spirit. Saul was there. Saul of Tarsus was there. The what will be the Apostle Paul? He, this is a guy trained by Gamaliel. This is a guy that went to the best Bible college, the best seminary in the world. But he, he didn't have any answers for what Stephen had to say. This is just a young lay minister who worked at the food bank. This is a guy that was handing out the peanut butter sandwiches and the Kool-Aid to the widows. And yet this man, this man preached with such power. What was his message about? It was about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. He, he, he makes them so mad. They bit him. The Bible said they gnashed on him with their teeth. And then they stoned him. Boy, Satan was sure he'd won a great victory. But do you understand it was the stoning of Stephen that set the stage for the conversion of the greatest missionary the world has ever known. And that message is going to go through the world. He's alive. <laughs> He's alive. Look at what is happening. Chapter 7 gives us the ministry of Stephen, whose message in chapter 8 lays the groundwork for the conversion of Saul in chapter 9 which is followed by chapter 10, the conversion of Cornelius, the Roman soldier that opens the door of evangelism to the Gentile world. Why? It, 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 it finishes the triumvirate, the, the, the hat trick of Jesus saying, you're going to be witnesses unto me and to Jerusalem and all that surrounding area and into Samaria, the half-Jews. And then you're going to go to the uttermost part of the earth. Study how the Holy Ghost was poured out in Acts chapter 2. It's all, it's all Gentiles. And then Philip goes to Samaria. And now you're dealing with Samaritans. The results of those Jewish girls marrying those Assyrian soldiers years ago, producing this this, 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 this group of people, this subculture of hated half-breeds by the Orthodox Samaritans. They hate them. They wouldn't even walk through their country. They walked around them. But Jesus said, first it's going to go to the Jews, and then it's going to go to the half-Jews, and then it's going to go to the non-Jews. And that's exactly what happened, that the Jews got the Holy Ghost first, and then the Samaritans heard the gospel, and then now Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch. These are Gentiles. This is fulfilling that, that tripart prophecy of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. And I'm grateful today for his name and his blood and his word, but we wouldn't have any of this if there wasn't an open tomb. And that's what you always, that's what you lean on. Ladies and gentlemen, if the resurrection is not real, we might as well all go to the ball game and get drunk. We might as well just wipe our hands of all of this and say it's all fallacy and farce and fiction or... See, Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord from glory. And I, for one, 
am someone whose life has been changed because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I've been blessed to be sired and protected by an amazing mother and father who years ago, filled with the Spirit, baptized in the name of the Lord. My father is going to be 93 in just a couple weeks. My mother is in her mid-80s. But their commitment to the gospel and to their testimony has never, ever waned. It changed my life, changed the lives of my family and the lives of countless others. And so I rejoice with every one of you, my brothers and sisters right now. We're going to get out of this soon. And when we come back together, God help us if we come back weaker. God help us if we come back sucking our thumbs, feeling sorry for ourselves. God help us if you were an agent of division or an agent of doubt while this is going on. Because when it's over, you're going to have a reputation. Was it one of faith? Were your words seasoned with salt? Were you careful for what you said and how you acted? Or did you just live for yourself and your, oh, see, you've got to look at it through the prism of Jesus Christ. Because Paul said, I'm single-minded to live as Christ, to die as gain. So on this Easter, <laughs> who would have ever thought that I would be addressing you through this means? But it does not dispel nor diminish the message that I'm preaching to you right now, wherever you are. If I'm addressing someone right now, sick in their body, shut your eyes with me and stretch your hand with me. And let's pray a prayer of faith right now. Lord Jesus, I have no idea who I'm talking to right now and how far my words are being flung around this world. It does not matter, Lord, because I don't have the power to heal anybody. I've not shed one drop of blood for anyone. I've tried the best I knew how to love people, but my love is nothing compared to yours, Lord. You love these people far more than I could ever, ever attempt to love them in my life. And your resurrection power is just as relevant and powerful right now as it's ever been. So by the authority of the word of God and the power in the name Jesus, I bring healing through that name and that blood to this home and this family that's hearing my voice right now. Be with their marriage, be with their children, protect their elders, protect their babies, put a hedge around. You said angels, camp, camp around them that fear you. Who are we supposed to be afraid of? Somebody that can harm the body but not touch the soul or somebody that can harm the soul and damage our eternal prospects. Lord Jesus, we look to you right now with faith. And I'm believing you that even as I pray, your healing virtue is being extended into these faithful folks that are listening to me right now. My brother and my dear sister, be healed. Be healed in the name of Jesus Christ because the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is available and available right now. And we thank you for that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and call it done. Thank you.
from the bottom of my heart, thank you for the privilege to address you today. Thank you for your faithful attendance. Follow us. You stay safe. We'll do our best to keep you connected. Thank you for your faithfulness of following us on social media. Thank you for your offerings. Thank you for your faithful tithing. It enables us to keep doing what we've got to do. God bless every one of you. Have a blessed day in Jesus' name. Amen.